was during the Vietnam War that Admiral Jim Stockdale spent seven and a half years in a prison camp that was nicknamed the Hanoi Hilton. It was in this place under horrific conditions of torture and severe deprivation and constant pressure by their captives to turn on the United States that he formed what was necessary for these men, a community. In that exile in Vietnam, these men, through sophisticated tapping communications, consistent selflessness to each other, and seeking to keep their honor as Americans, they found a community bound in suffering. At the end of the war, while 114 POWs had died in this Hanoi Hilton, and 590 managed to survive, their stories of survival have come down to us as pictures of heroism. But they could have never made it without that one thing without community. Had they become isolated, I guarantee you they surely would have perished. Now, I'm not comparing our time today and, and our struggles of what we're going through with anything that those men went through. However, if what helped them survive was community in the midst of their exile and their isolation in these POW camps can help us understand a lot about what, in a minor way, in a very microscopic way, we're going through, and some of you in a greater fashion than others of us. You see, we're in a bit of an exile. Because of COVID and the things that we've been going through, we find ourselves exiled to our homes. We find ourselves exiled away from the normal accoutrements of life. The coffee shops are closed. You can't go into the restaurant. You can't seem to find your way to a gym. Even at certain parks, it feels like we're banned from just the basics of a social existence. In this form of exile, there's a danger that you and I can fall into, and that is that we can become isolated to the point that we don't have any community. And then it becomes even more dangerous. Look, my point here today is to look back at these men, and what they discovered was that we desperately need community. And in this series that we're calling uh, you know, Around Every Corner, um, yep, we're going to be doing this, uh, this spiritual growth time where we're really aiming at developing ourselves and going deep into the Word of God and, and what we're looking at in our time period. We're, we're, this series called Around Every Corner is about what we don't expect. There is always something around that next corner. There's always some kind of danger, some kind of temptation, some kind of evil, some kind of struggle. Now, how are we going to handle that? That's what we're going to get into. But before we can even begin to talk about what could be around every corner, we need to be ready with the basic thing that's going to help you and help me to actually grow in a time of exile and potential isolation. And that is community. You need community. I need community. And I'm going to challenge you to community because here's the thing. Exile threatens our spiritual life. It really does. It threatened the Jewish spiritual life. It has threatened the spiritual lives of so many people who have been exiled from their communities. And maybe you're feeling that tension in your spiritual life. Heck, you're not alone. In fact, what you will see is that in 1 Kings chapter 19, beginning in verse 1, a man named Elijah, someone we respect as a hero of the faith, right, was actually going through his own struggle with exile and ultimately isolation. Let's take a look at this. If you've got a Bible, open it up there to 1 Kings chapter 19. It begins this way. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. He arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. 
Now, Elijah's going through an interesting scenario. He's just had God respond to him on the hill of Carmel where lightning has come down, taken up his very offering. A rainstorm has come to end the year-long drought, all at his declaration as a prophet. And yet now Jezebel turns and tells him, you're a dead man. This has brought Elijah to his knees for some reason. He's off, he's running, he's trying to get away. He wants to be exiled from the whole situation, if not isolate himself. Why? What in the world is going on here except the fact that he is running because something broke. Some of his expectations were dropped. Something happened because he, he couldn't actually um, see the revival he was hoping for. He thought maybe the kings would repent. Who knows what was in Elijah's mind. But ultimately, what he came down to was the reality that this didn't work. And he took off from fear. He took off from exhaustion. Hey, in our time period right now, it can be exhausting. Maybe you are part of that frontline work. Maybe you're in the essential workers field. Maybe you're like me and you're doing more than you've ever done because you're doing it online. You're trying to help and open things. It's exhausting. You're worn out. You're, you're feeling alone. You're feeling afraid. A fear of the government, a fear of the virus, a fear of you name it. There's a fear out there in the air. And that can cause you to actually just shut down and push everything away and say, I'm done. I'm done. I'm, I'm literally just going to exile myself. I'm just going to isolate myself. I'm just going to push out and away. Now, isolation in this kind of form is dangerous because it can do certain things. Now, it started working with Elijah in a way that was actually dangerous as we continue on here in verse 4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It's enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down under the broom tree and slept. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and jar of water, and he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. So here is Elijah. He's ran to the wilderness. He's getting away from all of humanity. He's escaping as best as he can. And he finds himself under a broom tree. He's out in the desert, nowhere zone. And he's trying to crawl under this thing and hopes nobody will see him, nobody will find him. This is a big bushy tree. And basically, or bush actually, just this big bushy piece of just bush stuff, right? And he's hiding under there, hiding away. And he's like, God, I just want to die. I'm so down. I'm so depressed. I'm so out of it. I failed you. Nothing's working. And the Lord himself comes and sustains him. The Lord himself comes and gives him food. And this sustains Elijah, but not maybe in the way the Lord intended. Elijah gets up and takes off running, but he goes in a different direction. It says, And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. And there he came to a cave and he lodged in it. Now, here we have Elijah running to again, to that wilderness. And now he's at the mount of God. He's at actually Sinai, where it all began. And it's as if he's like, I'm going to where nobody's going to find me. I'm going where I can, I can get to anywhere I want. And in some way he's thinking, yeah, maybe I'm pressing into God. Maybe not. But he's not going to stay there. He's only going to lodge there. That means he's going to take a night. And it's almost like he's ran here because he can't think anywhere else to go. But now he's going to just keep on booking. He's going to get out of here the next day and leave. And there's a problem here. We, we, we get lonely, we get ourselves separated, and then things begin to kind of grow. In fact, it starts with Elijah and continues on here as we pick up in, the, in verse 9. It says, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said, What are you doing here, Elijah? 
And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord and the God of hosts, for the people of Israel, forsaking your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. Oh, everybody hates me. Nobody loves me. I'm going to eat worms, right? That's kind of the thing that's going on. He's having a, an ultimate pity party. Did everything you want, God, and look what happens. This is what goes on in exile and isolation. We begin to feel like God's against us. We begin to feel like there's a tension between us and God. Well, God continues, and he said, Go out and stand by the mount before the Lord. And, before, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore the mountains and broke it in pieces, and the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Behold, there, was a, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? This is, this is critical. What we see in this text is a situation in which Elijah has found himself just wrestling with God. He thought God was in the big firestorms, that God was in the big things and all the amazing stuff that was going on. And indeed, God was, but he's not always there. And God gives these signs, shows these things, but he's not in them. He's in a whisper as if he's telling Elijah, listen, it's kind of hard to hear me right now, isn't it? And then he asks him the question again, what are you doing here, Elijah? See, Elijah had always gone and arisen wherever God told him to. And this is the first time that Elijah had gone up and done what he thought he should. He had isolated himself. In fact, in his isolation, he began to run from God himself. He began to push himself away. He began to say, hey, I, I just want some crash time. I just want to be by myself. I just want to not do my job anymore. You ever feel that way? Maybe you've just got to the end of your day and you're like, I just need to watch some Netflix. I just need to watch a movie. I don't want to think about God. I don't even think about God. You've actually been running from God in your exile because of the fear, because of the tension, because of whatever it is. And you've just been trying to push him out, push him out. You're just like, God, this is what's going on. I'm done. And I want to challenge you that that's not healthy. Again, Elijah's going to hear that question. What are you doing here, Elijah? And what we see is that he's just broken inside. He just wants to be alone because he's so angry at what's happened. And we see he gives the exact same response. You know, all these people have died. They've thrown your covenant. They've done all these things. And I, even I only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. Ah! See, here's the thing. Isolation exaggerates problems. If you're in an exile, you can find yourself isolated. And suddenly your problems seem huge because you become so small. You get so fixated on you. You're the only person with yourself. And your thoughts become the, the right thoughts. And, and what you're studying, what you're taking in is what makes everything correct for you. And I've met people who become heretics because they get themselves alone, isolated. And all the issues that they're reading in scripture and all the issues in their life, they start to exaggerate and get bigger and bigger. And God seems so distant, like a whisper. And what's going on in this case is that it seems that Elijah has found himself where he's all alone and his problems are huge. They're all exaggerated. Because check this out. This is how it goes on. He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. And then all this stuff. And you, you guys have taken my life. You don't want to take it away. Ah. And then he goes, and the Lord said to him, go. 
Return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. Elijah, I grant it, you're done. You don't need to do any more, he tells him. But guess what? You've got the context all wrong. I'm going to pick a new king. Ahab's done. I'm going to pick another king. I'm going to pick another person, and I pick another prophet. It's over. You think they're going to get you? They're not going to get you because you're finished. And what can often happen is in our exile, we actually begin to kind of lose our faith, begin to push it away, begin to walk away. And God, who sees the perspective rightly, wants to warn you, don't think your problems are so big in your isolation. No, no, no. They just look huge. In fact, God just kind of explains. He says, the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael and Jehu will put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elijah will put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. These are leaders and probably prophets of 7,000 others. He wasn't the only one. God was still working with him. God was still having his people. You see, isolation can exaggerate the problem and we don't see the true issues and we think they're bigger than they are and God reveals what's really going on. So when we're in our exile, we can't isolate away from God. We can't isolate ourselves. It's dangerous because it's dangerous for our spiritual life and can exaggerate even temptation. And we remember this story. It's from the time of David. King David it's in the spring of the year, it says, the time when kings go out to battle. And David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. Not a good start. David isolated himself, and in that isolation, temptation was the maximum. When he was alone and nobody was looking, in a sense, who could really hold him accountable, all of his other military leaders, when he should have been somewhere, he was somewhere else, exiled and isolated away, and man, the temptation hit. And he gave in, and we know what the history was. And I want to challenge you guys not to think that you can stand firm in the middle of your isolation. You see, for years... Uh, AA groups and like that have talked about halts, H-A-L-T-S. And this idea of halts is like if you're hungry, if you're angry, if you're lonely, if you're tired, or you're scared, this is not a time to be alone. That's the time temptation's ready to grab you. And we can see Elijah was hungry, Elijah was angry, Elijah made himself lonely, he was tired. Man, he fell into sin of disbelieving God. You got David here, he's alone, you know, he's out there, he's got some hunger, he's got the wrong kind of hunger. And we get in all of these kind of situations where we can find ourselves in our isolation in these situations and temptations ready to take you. Now, be aware of yourself, be aware of what's going on, be aware that that isolation is dangerous for your spiritual life. Finally, it's dangerous because isolation can make you think you're fine, that you're good, you're just fine, you're okay. David felt that way after he sinned like that. It was months before Nathan the prophet finally showed up and said, dude, you're the one that sinned, you're ignoring God, you're not fine. It had to be the community that broke him out of his isolation, that broke him out of his thinking that he was fine. And this is the case. See, ultimately it's dangerous to be isolated because we lose our faith in isolation. 
like Elijah. We lose our faith like David was on his way to. And we need to be careful because here's the thing. Isolation is dangerous in these cases, so you and I need a plan. If you're finding yourself in exile and rolling into isolation, time and time again I've watched people walk away from the faith because of that. You need a plan right now, especially in this COVID scenario. You need a plan for how you're going to live spiritually. Yes, Jesus went into isolation, right? He went into the wilderness right after he was baptized. And while he's out there, he's spending time with God. But he's battling temptation. And Jesus was led by the Spirit. He had a plan. He knew what he was doing out there. He knew where he was going. And when he got back, here's the thing that, God, that Jesus did as God, our God in the flesh. He built a community around him. You see, he didn't stay isolated, didn't stay away. He pulled the community in. And so in our plan, we want to plan to get in community for our spiritual health. Guys, this is the key. My challenge to you guys is the challenge I give to every student ministry when I was the youth pastor when they graduated. I said, guys, you're going off into this world. You're about to go to college. You're about to head off into the military. You're about to go into the working world. And you are going to start hunting for the youth group and you're not going to find it. And eventually what you're going to do is you're going to find yourself in a scenario where you have to make a choice to go be part of a church community somewhere. And if you don't, guarantee you within a couple years, you will have walked away from your faith effectively. And true to, true to the word, many of those students didn't go find another church, didn't stay at the church, and their faith dwindled and disappeared. We need to have the community in our lives because the community helps keep the faith. The community helps keep us strong, especially when we're in exile. And let's look at Daniel. He was in exile. And Daniel chapter 1, we wind up with him in exile with three other Jewish young men, and he actually stays faithful. We start here in verse 8. It says, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief and of the eunuchs. And so here's what's going on in Daniel's life. They're trying to give him the food of Babylon. They're trying to rename him according to the Babylonian gods. They're trying to completely change everything about him in his exile. And so it was Daniel's resolution as he's looking at this food. He's thinking, no way, I'm not eating this stuff. I'm not going to be adjusted. I'm going to stand firm for my God. And it looks like he was going to do it all alone. But we know there are three others with him, right? We pick that up right here. Verse 10, And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who has assigned your food and your drink, for why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king? Then Daniel said to the steward, Whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. And what we see here is that Daniel wasn't alone. There was Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah with him, or as you probably know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Rack, Shack, and Benny, right? All those, <laughs> these are the same guys. This is Daniel's community. He has pulled them in to keep the faith. In fact, it'll be these four guys that will stand firm when, uh, Babylon, the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar is going to kill all of these people. And, and they interpret his dream. It's, it's these three guys will stand together, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, as they go into the fiery furnace. What we see is that community constantly keeps the faith. In fact, in exile, that's exactly where we got the idea of synagogues. 
A synagogue was a local gathering of Jewish people to keep the faith. It was a community. And it's actually the prototype of what we do today as the church. We gather to keep the faith, to keep the community. And when this happens, God works and he keeps the faith. It finishes off, so this man, Ariok, he listened to them in this matter and he tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who <laughs> ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. They held on to the faith. Community can help you do that in the middle of exile when things are trying to shape you that you, that you know are not of God. Now, the community can do something else. It can aid us in what is around the corner. We don't know what's coming, and that's what this series is going to aim at. What's coming around that corner? And the community can help us. The best place I've seen this is with Jesus. You see, Jesus, in the book of Mark, as he's into Gethsemane, he actually asks the disciples to continue with him in prayer. We pick it up here in verse 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with them Peter, James, and John. And he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. Now, here's the thing. While these guys fail him, not a great community, Jesus knew he needed it. Jesus knew he needed people with him as he knew what was coming, as he knew there was danger around the corner. You need the community now. You need each other to be praying for you, supporting each other, pushing you forward. And we need to have this kind of a community, especially as we deal in this world of isolation and exile. It will help us keep the faith. It will help us keep moving forward. And we will be able to continue in that route. Now, the last thing community will do, it'll help you see yourself and, and, and you won't lie to yourself and you won't think of yourself as great. That's what Nathan did for David, right? That's where the community brings in. And, and that really means then that we need to commit ourselves to a good and faithful community. And I don't know any better scripture than the one in the book of Hebrews, where the people in the book of Hebrews are Jewish men and Jewish women who are returning to the Jewish faith from Christianity because they just were feeling so exiled and eliminated. And what the author is trying to do is say, no, we have something better. We have something greater. We have the actual, the real. And it goes through the whole letter trying to exhort these men to stay faithful to their Messiah, Jesus. And part of that is a call to commit to a community that is faithful, to a faithful community. Now, check this out. In Hebrews chapter 10, we, we, we read this powerful passage. It says, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And this is the critical case. See, we need the community as we see the day drawing near, right? Because what's going to happen when the day draws near? Persecution increases, difficulty increases for the church. We need each other. And so it's a call to commitments. And notice the commitments that are called here. It says, let us first commit to the faith together. The centerpiece of every good community is the gospel, is our faith. At the beginning, it said this way, let us hold fast to the confession. That's what we trust, what we believe, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, that Jesus Christ overcame our sin, that Jesus Christ overcame the enemy and the evil one, that Jesus Christ sat down in the, in the, at the right hand of the Father, and he is ruling to this day. Man, that's our confession. And we confess that hope without wavering for he who promises faithful. And we're holding on to this together. And this is critical because if you're going to grow in the same direction as a community, 
If you're going to grow in the same direction with these people you're committing, then you got to be committed first to the faith. And so this isn't about inviting non-Christians in to see them suddenly transform. This is about us growing in Christ together. Often in our premarital counseling, my wife and I will talk about the fact that when you have a, a marriage, really the focus of your marriage needs to be Christ at all times. Because I'm down here and she's over here, and as we draw near Christ, we draw nearer together. But also, man, if I want to be like Jesus and she wants to be like Jesus, when we challenge each other in our sin, we receive it because we both know we want the same aim. And that's what happens in a group. We can be committed to our confession, committed to our faith, and that means we can commit to challenging each other because we're both aiming at the same things. We're not aiming at our own visions of each other, what we think you should do and who you should be and all this stuff. No, we're committed to aiming each other at Jesus Christ. And this is important because we can want people to be the cookie cutter we desire. Maybe we don't like something in their personality. Maybe there's something that bothers us about them. Maybe we assume things. The bottom line is that's not for us to do. We need to commit to challenging each other to love and good deeds. Hebrews chapter 10 puts it, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. How do we challenge each other to care for one another? How do we challenge each other to get out there and put our faith into action, to love, live, and share Christ wherever we go, right? This is what we're calling each other to. And see, this is critical in our lives because you need each other. You see, you, if you're struggling with love because it's not really in you, you need somebody else alongside to help kind of push you in that direction. If you're struggling for, to do good things because you're becoming selfish and you're isolated, you need somebody to shove you forward. Whether it's a Zoom meeting, whether it's just somebody present in your life, they're there to be a catalyst in your life to thrust you towards Jesus Christ to enable you to live out the faith. And that means we need to be committed to this idea of challenging each other to the gospel. Finally, we need to challenge we need to commit to keep meeting. Because guess what? When you challenge each other, there's going to be tension. It's not going to be fun. It's going to be kind of ugly. And, and sometimes we won't say things right. But we need to be committed to keep on meeting. Again, he says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. It's going to take work. In fact, the best communities are forged through difficulty. And there's going to be rough times. There are many times where you're zoomed out. There are times where you just your, your schedules aren't working anymore. There are going to be times where you're like, I don't know how to make this work. But if you're committed to meeting, if you're committed to one another, if you're committed to this, then you are going to see God developing you in your group. Especially in an exile, especially in isolation, we need these communities to keep us moving forward like this. And that means finally we need to commit to healthy truth. And I put this together because sometimes you can wind up in a small group. You can commit to people and you weren't careful at first. And suddenly you've got some people around you that you're like, that guy is just toxic or this person's, I'm just really wrestling with this. And so we need to commit to speaking healthy truth. Ephesians puts it this way, rather, uh, we, he says we need to grow up, rather speaking the truth and love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, within each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This all begins by speaking the truth in love. And that's hard because you may be sitting in a group and you know that person needs to be told, hey, you're staying too long. Or you know that person needs to be told, hey, I think you're a little critical about some of these things that, and it's not really helping. Or maybe you need to be told, hey, you're a bit judgmental or whatever it is. When we speak the truth in love because we want them to be like Jesus, because we want people to grow in Christ and be healthy, then we're going to see all of it 
growing in love, all of it working correctly, all of it moving the same direction, and you're going to move faster towards Jesus and being like him and being a holy one, being sanctified and transformed than ever. And so we want to challenge you. You can't continue in isolation. You've got to begin to pull groups together. You've got to begin to start a community. And that's the challenge of that small group. You need to have that with you. And so we have a couple questions for you. Number one, ask who are you willing to commit to specifically? We're asking you if there's just two. Start a group with just two other people you know you can commit to, you know you can trust, and do this study. This every Around every corner study here is important that we do this together to grow together in the season of spiritual growth. And so again, ask yourself, who are you willing to commit to specifically? What are the names? Two of them, lock them in. If there's more, awesome, do that. But commit to one another. And then make the second commitment. Ask, when will you commit to meet? You've got to commit to the meeting. You've got to commit to the time. We're saying, hey, over the next six weeks, this is the time. Commit for six weeks at a time on a Zoom call, in person, outside, however you feel comfortable, you need to do that. But begin to meet again. Have a community. Who are those two people? What is that time you're going to meet? We would love to help you make sure you do that. The way you can do that with us is you can text the word GROUP to 951 382-5111. Again, we're calling you out to kind of get into a group or start a group, whatever it is, let us know. You're going to text the word GROUP right now. Grab your phone, G-R-O-U-P, and you're going to be sending it to 951-382-5111, and we will help you get started in a group. We will help you build that community because the bottom line is exile and isolation is dangerous, and now is the time that we need community for the sake of holding our faith together and developing together because you don't know what's around every corner.